Uh, let's get into the Bible uh, and, uh, and look here a little bit. Well, we'll finish up First Peter in the next, uh, you know, today we'll look at you know, half of chapter 4. Next Sunday we'll finish up chapter 4. And then the Sunday after that we'll, we'll do chapter 5. Uh, and then we'll go back to Romans. Uh, some of you asked why we did that. Well, I mean, Romans is uh, difficult face-to-face, right? Because we can look at Romans and I can say a point and then see how confused uh, Georgia looks and then kind of, you know, maybe add a little bit in or something. Uh, obviously, with Zoom, there's not very much of that. A bit, bit one-sided. And so, so we'll, we'll finish up First Peter, which tends to be a little bit more direct uh, and, and to the point, and then we'll get back into Romans. And then... It's awesome. Let's, let's read together here. First Peter chapter 4, uh, all the way down there to verse 11. Peter writes, he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for he- evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They are surprised. You do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. They will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Great passage. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll look at a few points from it. Uh, Father, we, uh, we, we thank you so much. Thank you so much for just the opportunity to gather together, to, to see one another, to sing together, to pray together. Uh, to look at your word together and to take the, the bread and the wine together, God. We, we are truly grateful for, for just, the, obviously, the, the, the governing authorities in our state uh, that have enabled us to, to make progress. God, we do pray. We, we pray for all the authorities, all, all the governments around the world as they make decisions. Uh, God, we pray you guide them and give them wisdom beyond themselves, Father. We pray for all those who are suffering and are in need, God. We, we pray that they will find comfort in you and you alone, God. Uh, we do pray that even now, as we look at this text, God, you can help us, God. Help us to be a people that, you know, continue to follow you. Continue to daily make decisions to, to serve you and to use our time here on earth uh, to bring you glory and to accomplish your will, Father. Help us in that, God. Give us the power. Uh, give us the, the, the wisdom and the tools that are necessary to, to live our lives in a way that pleases you. Again, we thank you and we ask so in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It is a great, it's a great passage, and even the previous section, which, which Jono covered, is a great, uh, it's a, you know, very jam-packed with some great concepts, you know, but the, the, the main theme of our text, and you probably picked it up even as we read it, uh, it is a familiar one for Peter. Throughout Peter's letter, 
uh, you know, all the way back to chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, where he talks about his obedient children don't conform to the previous way of life, right? Peter uh, is most likely writing to those that are, that are perhaps younger in the faith, and so are, are, are you know, perhaps maybe sub three years as Christians, uh, and, and so they've come out of the world, uh, and they're adopting a whole new way of life. And so Peter goes to great lengths, not just here in our text, there in verses 2 to 3, but also, like I said, chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, as well as chapter 2, uh, 11 to 12, where he uses the idea of you're a permanent resident. So you've got to live a different life than everyone around you. And, and this idea of coming out of the world, uh, adopting a new way to see things, a new, a new way to make choices, uh, and an entirely different way to live, is his target point. That's what he's trying to, 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 to hammer into them. And, and though it may be primarily addressed to new Christians, it has applications for everyone. Because the reality is that daily you face pressure to conform to the world. Daily you encounter ideologies and viewpoints that try to shape you and mold you into the world's way of seeing things and the world's way of doing things rather than into God's. You know, and here Peter is trying to help that process. You know, and I love how he phrases it. Uh, there, uh, you know, don't live the rest of your, you know, your earthly lives uh, for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. You know, and that's the funny way to think about it. I mean, you, you in some sense, you're saying, look, you, you have limited time, and you've already wasted a fair bit of it, right? And I look back at my life, and I think, gosh, I wasted a lot of it, years. You know, and this is. This whole section of 1 Peter is very similar to Romans 6. If you're looking for something to read tomorrow, read Romans 6. And you'll see they're almost the same thing, you know, because Paul talks about, think back to even how you were living, all those things you used to do, what value did they even bring you? And now you're embarrassed about it. You know, and Peter's almost the same thing. Think back to how you used to live, and man, you wasted time living like that. Now, now you have time left. Use it to, to follow God. But time's a funny thing. You know, I think for, for, for a lot of the world, we've been reminded in this time that, that, you know what, we're a lot more mortal and a lot less in control than we like to think. And that's been shattered for a lot. And maybe we were a bit more shielded than others, but man, that's, 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 that's a very uh, common response to times like we've lived through. Is this reality? You know what, I don't actually, I don't know how long I have. You know, even this week, I got, got one of those emails that you never want to get. You know, where someone you love and you care about has gotten news that their time is very limited. And, and, and it's an interesting thing in that moment. It changes. All your plans, all your ideas, all your dreams, all how you would like to see things work out. In an instant, you realize, I don't actually have control of it. And, and, and this person's time is limited. And I mean, my time with that person is limited. And, and, and that has a way of bringing a sharp focus to what really ultimately matters. And it for sure is not living the way the world lives. For sure it's not just wasting your life away. No, no. Living a life that stores up eternal treasures. 
You know, none, none of us read like the parable of the rich fool in Luke 12, right? A guy who has business success that many dream of, right? His business is so successful, he tears down his barns and builds bigger barns and gets to a place where he literally, his motto for the rest of his life is eat, drink, and be merry. That's what most people in Australia, in the Western world, and reality is probably across every culture in the world, pursue. And Jesus says, you're a fool. Because this very night, your life will be demanded from you, meaning your time is up. And then what? And then what? And Peter here is a similar emphasis. The thing, you guys, you have, you have time. And you've already wasted some of that time. And, and, and what time you have left on this earth, you better use it properly. You know, Tolkien, the writer, uh, you know, the author of the, the, the Lord of the Rings series and The Hobbit, uh, and a lot of other obscure writings as well. He says, that, he says, all we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. That's very simple, isn't it? Really, we only have one choice to make. One decision to make. What are we going to do with the finite amount of time that we have? And Peter puts these two very contrasting ways of life before us. And they are radically different. I mean, the way of the pagan, right? Debauchery uh, and lust. And debauchery just being this idea of just unrestrained uh, you know, uh, approach to your sensual desires, right? Uh, and in some sense, debauchery and lust go together just as drunkenness, orgy, and carousing go together, right? Drunk, you know, lust is that internal uh, sexual, sensual desire, right? Uh, this longing, right? Uh, debauchery is the outworkings of that. Lust is there in the heart, it grows, the desire grows, and eventually it spills over and floods into your life. And you go against ideas or, or convictions or decisions you make, right? Uh, drunkenness is obviously obvious, you know, you know drinking, drinking too much wine. Uh, orgies is, is uh, in, in the Greek, the, the word is often used for, for parades of youth going through the streets drunk, right? Uh, they didn't have clubs back then, so I guess that was the, the, the ancient club uh, was that of going through, you know, the streets drunk uh, as young people, right? Carousing is literally drinking competitions, right? Uh, and then he says, you know, at the end there, just detestable idolatries, meaning worshiping anything other than God, right? And you think about this. Here's a list of the pagan world, right? Again, Peter's target is not uh, the Jewish Pharisees and the Sadducees and all those morally upright people, though their hearts were, 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 were following a different way. Uh, he, he's, talking, he's talking about the Greco-Roman world. And it is the same today. <laughs> Right? I mean, as Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, right, there is, there is nothing new under the sun. It's just repackaged. Right? There's nothing new. A lot of times people buy into the idea that, you know, we're, we're, we're improving as a human race. Probably not. We're much the same, right? In the pagan world back then, uh, it's much the same as the, the, the world today. And then you, you look at this, the contrasting way of life. That we find there in verses 7, you know, seven, the second half of verse 7, and the first part all the way down there in verse 11. You know, instead of the, the, the drunkenness, orgies, and crowds, he's saying, look, be alert and sober-minded so you can pray. Instead of just, you know, turning off all your, you know, by using chemicals to turn off all your, your inhibitions and your fears uh, that restrain you. Right? That's what the drunkenness and the orgies and crowds is doing. Peter's saying, no, 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 you need those intact so that you can pray. You need, you need to be thinking clear. You know, and he'll drive this home further in the next, you know, later on when he talks about, look, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, right? And if there's a lion loose in here, uh, 
everyone's going to be on edge, everyone's going to be alert, and most everyone's going to be gone as well, right? You know, but, but, but Peter wants us to, hey, you've got to live your life. You've got to realize, man, life is dangerous. Spiritually, a war is a common metaphor used throughout the Bible to try to help us understand the dangerous spiritual world we live in. You know, he, he says there next that, that, that we're meant to love each other deeply. You know, for Peter, he's already talked about this in the previous chapter, you know, love for, for your brothers and sisters is one of the hallmark, uh, you know, benchmarks, uh, notifications, however you want to define it, that, that you're actually following Jesus. Even John in his, his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, this idea that you, you claim you love God, but you don't love people. You don't love God's people. That, that's, that's incorrect. All right? they, are, they are intricately connected. And he says, look, when you love each other deeply, that covers over a multitude of sins. And, and so if you find yourself constantly being a fault finder and therefore not having much love for other people, you've got to realize you have a love problem. And something needs to change because God has a high standard. Are we meant to love each other? Uh, so much so that, it, that in some sense our faults and our errors, uh, we all are blinded by the love for one another all right? and, and don't even see it. All right. We're meant to offer hospitality to one another. We're meant to welcome one another into homes, take each other out to dinner, uh, you know, buy each other coffees. You know, we're, we're meant to be people that are constantly looking for ways to connect. All right? But then Peter does almost the same thing he does with, with, with the love and the prayer without grumbling. Yeah. Without grumbling. I mean, hospitality, okay, that's challenging, but then to do it without grumbling? Right? It's very easy to fall into tit-for-tat mentality, isn't it? Very easy to have scorekeeper mentality. Well, hey, hold on, I've had that person over for dinner once, and they have not had me over for dinner. Right? I feel like in my relationship, I'm the one that constantly initiates. They don't initiate. Well, hold on, what are we doing there? We're grumbling, and Peter's saying, look, the way of the, the following Jesus is, is to offer hospitality without any expectation of it coming back. That's a high calling. That's a challenging thing. Right? And then, then he talks about you know, using whatever gift you have. So whatever gift God has given you, he says, hey, you've got to use that for others. You, you think about these lists, guys. These are radically different than the way, uh, you know, in two ways of living life. And you have a choice. You have a limited amount of time in this life, and your life is either going to reflect that of the pagan world, which if you summarize all that, it's all about self. Or you can follow Jesus. And live radically different. And it is radically different. I mean, he drives that home, right? Look, look again there at chapter 4, right? When he, when he talks about the list of the pagan world there in verse 4 of chapter 4, he's talking about the world. He says, they are surprised. Do you not join them in their reckless wild living? They're astonished. They are amazed that you're not doing what they're doing. And again, if you're a new Christian, you probably experienced this, right? Uh, I remember as a new Christian... Uh, for the first six months or even perhaps first year, uh, my, old, my old mates would always, every Friday, invite me to go out to a party. And it was like, it was like we had a conversation just on repeat, right? No, nah, I'm not coming, guys. What? Shock and amazement. Because in their mind, this is the way that everyone lives. And so for you to say no, amazement, right? But it doesn't end there, does it? Because what follows amazement? Is they heap abuse on you. <laughs> because at first, yes, they're surprised. 
But then there's an element of you, by you not doing what they're doing, their consciences are pricked. And they begin, begin to feel guilt. And what, do, what does most of mankind do when we feel guilt? We counterattack. Right? Because it's very difficult for us to be humble. To actually just look at our own heart. We like to blame others because it keeps responsibility away from us. But Peter says, hey, look, it is so radically different and that's going to happen. Right? In, in, in verse 5, you know, you know, as he continues as a counter to that, he says that they will have to give account. So he reminds the church, yes, that's an uncomfortable position. Them being amazed at you, them laughing at you, and then even abusing you, you've got to remember, they're going to have to give account. Now there is an important side note there. Peter doesn't tell the church then to tell them. But that probably is not the correct moment. Right? You've got to know when to speak, and then you also got to know when to just keep your mouth shut, Right? Uh, you know, and telling people that the fires of hell await them, you know, uh, it's probably not the moment to do that. There is, there is a moment to warn people of that, right? But, but Peter says that, right? Uh, you know, and in verse 6 is one of those verses that, that a lot of people get very confused about. He says, for this, for this is the reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And there's a lot of different uh, interpretations of what that could be, and we don't have time to go through them all right now, you know, but essentially what that, pa- what that verse is saying, Siri's going to read it to us, uh, you know, <laughs> essentially what that verse is saying is, is, is most likely what, what Peter is saying here is, you know, you're living a different life, the world has been amazed at you, they abuse you, and then they're perhaps even pointing out, well, what good has that brought you? All your, all your people you love, well, they're all dead, Right? So what, sorry, what's the real benefit of living radically different? And, and, and Peter in some sense is saying, yeah, sure, the, your brothers and sisters, uh, they, they, they have died in the flesh. But now what are they doing? They're alive, according to the Spirit. And that's, that's why the gospel was preached to them. Because if, if you don't hear the gospel and respond to this in life, there is not a second chance. There is not another opportunity. Uh, even the previous chapter, if you, if you read or you, you were on Zoom last week, uh, you know, the, the part where it talks about that when Jesus resurrected, he went and preached uh, to those who were disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah. That doesn't mean that he went down and preached and everyone that had died uh, before that point kind of got a second chance. It's more saying that, that, that the son has gone into the, the enemy's camp and basically said, I won. Proclaim, death, death doesn't hold me. Right? It's this idea of total victory of, of Jesus. Right? Hopefully you understand that. Right? But, but you think about this. Again, two different ways of living. Limited amount of time. What are you going to do? And again, this is not easy. John Piper, a famous writer, who writes a great book called Don't Waste Your Life. Definitely recommend reading it if you've never read it. And he says in that, he says, I am wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call each home, or I, I, call, I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries needs and using my money just the way the unbelievers do. I don't think much about people perishing. Missions and unreached people drop out of my mind. And that's true. I think that's a, you know, read the quote of them. Gosh, man, that, that is true. This is hard. There's such a, an upward call in the New Testament to live radically different. But man, it's hard. It's a battle. How, how do we do it? How do we, how do we stay on that path that is radically different even when we're laughed at, even when we're abused, and even when you're mocked? How do we do that? 
How do we live so radically different? And thankfully, this passage gives us some answers. All right? And, and one of the key words is we understand the answers is therefore. Uh, I don't know who came up with the corny joke, but every time you see the word therefore, what are you meant to do? Ask what it is there for. That's good. That's good. You guys can use that. You don't have to cite me. Okay, I didn't come up with it, right? But it is helpful because it is one of those words sometimes we just skim over, right? But it's an interesting thing that the Bible uses it constantly. I mean constantly, right? Which is kind of interesting, right? You know, because it's constantly telling you, uh, you know, that, that there is cause and effect. Right? There's cause and effect. Right? We went through Romans. You know, I pointed this out a few times, right? Romans 1 to 5 uh, has a common theme, right? The world is lost. Romans 1, 2, and 3. Salvation is found in Jesus. 4 and 5. And then in chapter 6, what does he begin to talk about? Here's how you should live there. You can't just read 6. Right? If you jump to 6, 7, and 8 of Romans and you think, okay, I've got to put to death my sinful nature by the Spirit. I've got to you know, offer my bodies as, as living sacrifices to God. If you try to do you know, 6 to 12 without 1 to 5, it won't work. And, and the entire letter is structured to try to force you to think, therefore. And almost every one of Paul's letters does this. Almost every one of Paul's letters, the first couple chapters, are laying out theology, realities that you have in Jesus. And then the second half of the letters involve practically how you are meant to live. All right? and, and, and structurally, you've got to see what Paul is doing. You've got to see what Peter is doing by structuring their letters that way, by telling you, therefore, uh, as it begins to talk about life change, they're trying to force you into uh, keeping things in proper order. Right? Making sure you have the motivation before you begin to jump to application. Right? Now, I think this is also pretty important to us. And Cameron and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, that, that we live in a world, and I think it's a byproduct of relativism. Right? Kind of the tossing out of any kind of absolute truth. We live in, in, in a world that, that most decisions and most um, you know, directions in life are determined by feelings. Emotions. Right? And, and by using therefore, Peter is forcing thought into your mind. He's forcing you to think. He, he wants thought, rational thought, to be the basis for what you do, not your emotions, not your feelings. You know, and I hear this all the time. Not all the time, but sometimes, right? People saying, I'm not really feeling uh, up for X. Or I'm not really feeling like doing Y. And X and Y being spiritual things that the Bible says, this is how you're going to live. But you think about that thought process. That person is saying, look, feelings are the basis from which to, you know, I then make decisions about what actions I do. Right? Again, I'm not, not, not invalidating everyone's feelings. Okay? We all have feelings, and feelings have a purpose, and they have a place. But they cannot be the basis for your life decisions and your life choices. Now, the irony of this is that the world looks at religion, what do they say? They make fun of you saying, you are drinking Kool-Aid. You ever had anyone say that to you? Maybe it's just 
It's just me that gets told that. What's that? It's an American thing, right? But it's a, uh, it's a, it's not a compliment, by the way. No Kool-Aid is delicious drink, right? Uh, it's very sugary. I think mean, that's all that's in it is sugar and food coloring, right? Uh, you know, but 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 what they're basically saying is you're drinking the Kool-Aid. You know what I mean? You're 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 not thinking. You're just you're just following the crowd. You're just a sheep, right? You're just going off, you know, whatever the crowd's doing, that's what you're doing. Now, now the Bible is actually the opposite. God looks at the world and says, what about the world? You're like brute beasts. Meaning you have shut off higher reasoning. You have given yourself over to instinct. Right? I mean, sensual, you know, indulgence, lust and debauchery, the first two on that list. What are they all about? They're about your base drives. Your base longings, which are sexual, uh, in, in that context, dictating your choices in life. And what are the next three? Drunkenness, orgies, and carousing. And they're all about uh, using chemicals to switch off your mind. Again, this is the irony of the world. The world looks at religion and thinks, oh, that's for people who don't think. When the reality is, people who, who, who don't follow God, uh, a lot of times you go and you talk to them and you ask them what they think about God. And they say, I've never thought about God. And you think about the, 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 the idiocy of that. When you have limited time. You have a finite amount of time. And the choices you make day in and day out have had eternal consequences. And you're not going to think about it. That's crazy. But for even us as Christians, Peter is saying, make sure you think about it. Make sure you think about it. There is a therefore before he begins to talk about how you are meant to live. Uh, you know, God expects us to use our minds. He has given you a mind. He has created you in his image, which is that of wisdom and knowledge. You've got to use it. But I've got to warn us, guys. A vast majority of us, we've all come out of the same world we live in. And we live in a world that, that emotes way more than it reasons. find this, you get into conflict with someone. And you find that, you know, you get in conflict, uh, in an argument, and so then people begin to put forward their case. And, and, and what I find a lot of times, people use very hard words and very soft reason. Right? They use emotive attacking language, but their actual reason behind their, their, their choices is very soft. Charles Spurgeon says we should invert that. We should use incredibly soft words. Very, very soft words. But man, our arguments, our reason, it should be thought out strongly. Because God expects us to be a people who think. But guys, we've got to realize that, that, that therefore is all over the place. And like I said, we tend to do the opposite. And you look at our text here, and it's very, it's very simple what the two therefores are. It's the cross and the coming. <laughs> The cross and the coming. I mean, the entire previous chapter that, that John O. covered there in chapter 3, you know, beginning in verse 18, is all about the cross. Christ died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. You want an analogy? It says, hey, think about the people in the days of Noah. They got in the boat and they, they were saved by water, and that water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not just the act of baptism. Okay? 
Not just the act. He says, look, it's the pledge of a good conscience or the appeal for a clear conscience. It, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right? Baptism saves you because it connects you to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Sinner's prayer doesn't connect you to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's not in the Bible. All right? Being baptized as an infant, that doesn't save you. That doesn't connect you to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection because you don't have a d- deeper appeal. All right? Baptism saves you because there's a deeper desire, and that desire is, is, is to be cleansed. And that's made possible by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then it's the therefore of chapter 4. All right? And even verse 2 of chapter, of chapter 4, uh, where it talks about that, you know, verse 2 begins with, as a result. You understand the suffering of Jesus, well, the result of that should be a different way of living. You really understand this, and this should, should follow. All right? The, 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 you know, and even in, in, in chapter 4, verse 1 there, Peter says, you should arm yourself with that. And unfortunately, the NIV translates the word there as attitude. You guys see that there in, in verse 2, uh, or into verse 1, right? Uh, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. And, and unfortunately for us, we hear attitude and we think feeling. But literally Greek, it's, it's, it's arm yourself with this idea. Arm yourself with this thought. So you think about what Peter is saying here. And this is something I think we take for granted a fair bit. You, you sit in church. You read the Bible. You read books about the Bible. You listen to songs that sing songs about Bible ideas. Okay? But Peter is saying that's not enough. Because you can believe the, the message of the cross. But are you arming yourself with it? Are you arming yourself with it? I mean, when you face a temptation, is there, is there the soberness, the self-control to, to stop for a second and think, well, hold on, how does the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus change this choice that I'm looking at? How does it change this? What light does it shed on this scenario? That's what it means to arm. You know, the, 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 the Greek word used there for arm yourself is that of take up your weapon. Okay? And you can have a weapon, right? Hopefully you don't have a weapon, okay? But if we're in America, everyone's got weapons, okay? You know, you can have your weapon at home in your safe and, and then go out into battle without it. And that's, that's, that's a stupid choice. All right? It's also used in Greek literature for food, right? Meaning, you know, you arm yourself with your food. You equip your food. You can have food in the fridge, but making a meal on the table, those are different things. Right? I'm good at putting food in the fridge, Right? Not necessarily putting the food on the table, right? And I can have food in the fridge and then go sit at the table, but if I don't arm myself, if I don't equip myself with that food, it, it is of no value. And I think for far too many of us, we, we, we sit in church and we hear it. And we maybe even read the Bible in the morning and, and before we go about our day, but, but in those moments, we are not armed with it. We get into to conflict. And, and we follow the pattern of the world rather than the way of Jesus. And if in those moments we would learn to stop and think, hold on, how does the gospel change this? Not my circumstance, but my response to that circumstance. Because God doesn't change the circumstances, He changes the people. But we've got we to bring the cross into that. We've got to bring Jesus' death, burial, resurrection into our minds and on the forefront of our hearts, day in and day out. Not just on Sunday afternoon. Not just in your house in the morning. 
but day in and day out. You know, armed with that thought, not, not a feeling, we begin to follow Jesus and we end up done with sin. You know, and the second thing that Peter obviously talks about here that, that, that uh, is a big therefore is his coming. And I love how he phrases it there. I mean, verses 4, 5, and 6, he, he is kind of building towards this idea of, you know what, you're going to die, uh, and there's, there's life for you beyond death. Uh, you know, but, but, but there uh, in verse 7, he, he, the end of all things is near. Therefore, the end of all things is near. How much do you think about the end? You know, I, I, I think, man, I, I don't think about it enough. You read Revelation, right? It's fun, colorful language, difficult to understand, you know, and, and even times like this, you know, in, in the world, you know, during the pandemic, I, got, I get emails from people you know, asking if this is like horse number three of the apocalypse or something. You know what I mean? We can get fascinated with that, that idea. Uh, but you know what? Every day is closer in a sense, isn't it? And, and, and Peter and the rest of the apostles, you know, for sure seem to live with this idea that, you know what? This is imminent. This is imminent. <laughs> because they had this understanding of time that, 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 it was a precious commodity. And every day that went past, they had less of it. And maybe that was a byproduct of the world they lived in. Maybe the world was more dangerous. Not as good health care, transportation not as good. Life was harder. Higher, higher mortality rate, you know, across the board in all, in all senses. And so death was something they thought about a lot. And so the idea of the end being near was actually something they longed for. I think one of the, 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 the curses in some sense of, man, the modern comfortable world we live in is that, man, we don't, we don't, life is good. Life's good. We live in a beautiful part of the world. We're blessed, without a doubt. But, but being comfortable is not necessarily a good thing. Peter's saying, look, you want to live radically different. Well, you need to get that thought in your mind that the end of all things is near. Because he's already talking about judgment here in our text. And the next, the next section, he's going to talk about, you know, you know where judgment begins? It's not, it's not with the pagan world out there. It begins in, in, in God's household. And the end is near. I mean, Jesus tells so many parables towards the end of his ministry. Remember the end of Matthew at the end of Matthew. And he tells parable after parable after parable. And the message of the parable was not try to calculate the days or the times. Not try to guess. Not try to add up numbers. Not try to look at current events and decide this is what's happening at this time. You know, no, no, no. They're all about you better be ready. You better be ready. Because he's going to come at the time you least expect it. So you think you're coming up with your, your calculations to figure out the exact time. So then that's not how you prepare to be ready. Prepare to be ready by, by, by thinking of that reality. That, hey, the master is coming back. He's returning. And I, don't know about, I don't know about you. I, I don't want to be caught doing that, that first list when he returns. You want to have Jesus come back and you're, you're in the middle of indulging a lustful thought? You want to have Jesus come back and you're intoxicated? 
You want to have Jesus come back and you're just harboring hatred in your heart towards one of your brothers or sisters? Is that really what you want to get caught doing? I, I don't want to get caught doing that. Right? And those of you who have kids, you know this concept, right? You walk in the house uh, and all of a sudden, you know, your, your kids are scrambling, you know, hiding whatever it is they were getting into, right? They have this, they have this clear idea, man, that, that, that the, you know, authority is here. Let me get in line. And, and, and you want to live radically different than the world, man, you've got to think a lot more. Man, the end is near. The sky at any moment can be rolled back like a scroll. And that's, that's a motivator. We're meant to think about it. It's meant to be something on our heart. And you think about even what we're about to do. Take the bread and the wine. What's the purpose of this? 1 Corinthians 11, 26. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every week we gather together and we do a ritual that tries to hammer two concepts into us. The cross and his coming. Because those are massive therefores. They are massive ideas. They are huge thoughts. That if we allow them to take the forefront of our mind, they radically change the decisions we make day in and day out. But you've got to arm yourself with them. You've got to keep them there. You've got to meditate on them and think about the outworkings of them into your life day in and day out. Amen? You know, as we take the bread and the wine, think about those thoughts. Think about the fact that your time is short. All right? And, and the cross and its coming are powerful motivators that could lead you down a different path than the world around you. Amen? If you don't know how to do the, the little manufactured cup, all right? I don't know how many more weeks we'll do these for, but there is a, a slight film on the top. You pull that. That gets you the wafer, and then the bigger tab you pull, and that gives you the, the grape juice. If you don't have one, there's more in the back, or you can just put your hand up, and uh, Cam and Lonnie will chuck one at you. All right? <laughs> just kidding. They'll walk one up to you. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for Peter and, and his writing. You know, we thank you for the sobering realities we find in this text. Reminder that, 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 you know, we have wasted time in our lives. And that you expect us to, to make the most of the time that we have left, God. And we long for, for, the, for the moment that, that time will be no more. For the moment that, that eternity will be ushered in, God. And we pray you help us to be a people that are ready for that moment, God. We pray you help us, God. Help us to arm ourselves. Help us to be a thinking people, God. To not mindlessly cruise through life or, or mindlessly uh, allow the, the world to form us and to shape us into its way of, of seeing things and living. God, but it instead that we can think daily about the cross, Father. We do pray. We pray that in those moments of temptation this week, that the scriptures about the cross can penetrate our hearts and our minds, God. That we can think about the, the fact that, that your son suffered for our sins. The righteous one for us, the unrighteous ones. And to think about that sacrifice that was made our, on our behalf and, and the privileged position that that has ushered us into, God. Help us to think about those thoughts and help us to think joyfully about your return. To even long for it, God, as we live here in this life as foreigners and exiles in this world. 
Again, we pray you bless the, the, the bread and the wine we take. That's all in Christ's name. Amen.